I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 104. And y'all, the world is on lockdown. Is it a movie? Is it? The, is this MK Ultra? I feel like something. Operation Stapler? Like, the conspiracy theories are very, some of them convincing. Uh, yeah. Look, it's crazy. Y'all be safe. Y'all wash your hands. Don't be chaotic up in public. People were fighting over groceries, they said. Oh, my God. They, on the internet, you know, truthful shit. (laughs) We just couldn't go without at least acknowledging that people are in quarantine. People can't travel out of the country or even to other states. Schools are shutting down. All of collegiate and professional sports have shut down in the state. You know, so we feel like we couldn't go without saying, be safe, take care of yourself physically, but also mentally. Well, because people, I didn't even think about it, but one of our groupsters is a flight attendant. Mm-hmm. And she was worried about her job. And I'm like, holy shit, I didn't even think about that. I know, I'm, I'm so scared of what this is going to do to the economy. Yeah. But I will say, cross your fingers because, you know, I'm sickly. Carrie's the sickliest over there. We are both immune compromised. And we all know that we get sick um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so. So wash your damn hands. Yeah, wash your hands for us. Cover your mouth with your baby armpit when you sneeze and cough. Mm-hmm. Don't use your fucking hands. And if you do, immediately wash them. What brought this up is we were going to eat at a buffet tonight, and we were like, oh, maybe not a good idea. Mm -mm. So we went to a different restaurant. Food is important, okay? But we're not going to be all doom and gloom, because we do have some good news. We got people who are going to be quarantined with us. (laughs) We're not quarantined, but yes. So thank you so much, Wendy F. from California. Jessica R. from Mississippi. See, told you, she's going to be quarantined with us. Okay. Janine G. from Louisiana. Tiffany F. from Virginia. Ashley P. from Oklahoma. And Bryn B. from British Columbia, Canada. Thank you all so much for joining Patreon and supporting us that way. If you want an episode shout out, head over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right. We're just diving right on in. All right. Today, we're talking about a house. And like any house I talk about, it's haunted. Or is it? The house in question is a mansion located at 1738 Elm Street in Stratford, Connecticut. No way in fucking hell I would ever live on Elm Street. No sleep. You couldn't sleep. It'd be a nightmare for sure. The house was built for George R. Dowell, who was a sea captain. He was really eclectic, really eccentric, and he was really proud of being a sea captain. And he wanted this huge mansion's interior to resemble his clipper ship's interior. So the main hallway of the house was 70 feet long, 12 feet wide, and it had twin staircases that met each other at the second floor landing. So like Titanic. Mm-hmm. I was picturing Gone with the Wind. The house is total three stories. Like it's gigantic. Well, soon enough, George retired He sold the house to Reverend Eliakim Phelps in 1849. And this house was going to be used seasonally because Eliakim had a house in Philadelphia as well. 
Okay. Very, very she-she. Eliakim had recently married Sarah Nicholson, who was much younger than he was. He was 59, and I could not find her age. They had two things in common that I know of. They were both widows, and they both had children from the previous marriages. Sarah's kids were Anna, Henry, and another daughter. I feel so bad for that daughter, but I think she dies before they actually move into the house or something, and so her name just isn't in any of the stories I read. You know, the other one. Mm-hmm. But Anna's 16, Henry's 11, and then the other daughter is six. Oh, God. She's a baby. And his kids are already grown adults because, you know, he old. He big daddy. Fucking daddy Warbucks over there. <laughs> well, and then they had a son together who was around three when all of the stuff starts happening at this house. All in all, things were good. They were, you know, picking up the pieces and living their lives after losing their loved ones. And they were all moving forward as a family. However, there was some talk that the household had some ups and downs. Sarah seemed to be ill a lot, which I'm like, uh, why are you throwing shade at that? Some people might be immune compromised. Mm-hmm. People. We can't all have rock-solid immune systems. Right. But honestly, I think they were more like, ugh, with her because she was really over Stratford. She didn't like it. She pretty much hated the town. She was young. She was vibrant. The town was, you know, peaceful and quaint. So she didn't really care for most of the community or her neighbors. So all in all, she was a pleasant dream. I was going to say, what a gem. Mm-hmm. And daughter like mother, Anna was a dreamboat. But she did also have the, they said, delicate health. Oh, so she was like us. She was sickly? Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, again, just like her mom. And then they said that she suffered from a nervous condition, so she was had anxiety? Uh-huh. I was like, I mean, same like girl. Us. Same. <laughs> I feel you on this. Same. And then you have to think about her son, Henry, because he's lost his dad. Now he has a new dad who's probably as old as his grandpa is. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's just trying to get used to everything. Potentially lost a younger sibling. Right. The AKA the other child <laughs> or other daughter. The other daughter. But has a new sibling that is both there. You know, like, it's just Mm -hmm. a... Classic middle child. Yeah. However, like, you know, they weren't fighting or anything more than normal shit. Yeah. Kids are bored, sad, life is hard, woe is me. Wanna fuck? I mean, that's marriage, right? Like, am I wrong, people who are married? You just threw me off with the wanna fuck. I was like, I didn't know where you were going with it, and then it made sense. I mean, I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that's what my parents did. And if you listen to previous episodes, she caught them one time. Mm -hmm. Multiple. That's what's wrong with me. Multiple times? Yes. Lock the fucking door, Patty (laughs) Joe. If you're going to fuck, lock the fucking door. I mean, in her defense, she did. But we didn't have the door, like, locker, like uh, Mm a... We had the latch. Oh. So, like, I could turn the handle and, like, do it, and it would come ajar, you know, and that's enough for a, 
a peeping Tom to see through. Oh, my God. And that is how a voyeur was born and Donna. <laughs> they seem to have settled into their own routine. Things were going well until they arrived home from church one Sunday, which was March 10th, 1850. When they got to their porch, they found that the front door had been flung wide open, which confused them because Eliakim had, you know, locked the doors and double checked because their maid was away. So he knew no one would be home. So like, you know, made extra precautions, like let me check the windows, Mm -hmm. everything. So for it to be open, he's like, skirt. Yeah. Like, wait, what? So first he goes inside cautiously and he is shocked because the house is in utter chaos someone has ransacked the place they've knocked over furniture they have books just scattered around there's clothes everything i mean tasmanian devil came through and aka that's carrie i was gonna say so um my house not your house carrie in the dorms But yeah, so the furniture was knocked over. Everything was just in shambles. Just when he thought they had been robbed, he found his gold watch. He found all of their silverware. He had some loose money inside, you know, so he's like, maybe not robbed. Or they were about to rob us. But when we came home, we scared them and they're going to come back. So he's like, all right, y'all can come in. No one's here. So they go, like, all the family comes inside. They go upstairs to inspect the rooms and see what else is going on. There's no one hiding upstairs. However, there is a surprise up there. Because in their master bedroom, there was a sheet spread over one of the beds. And on it is one of his late wife's dresses laid out on top of that sheet And there were, like, stockings at the end of it, like, so it would Mm -hmm. be, like, legs. And then the arms were, like, over the chest, kind of like how you would be placed in a coffin. Yeah. So they're shook, confused, all of the things. But they start tidying up because, you know, the maid's not there. And they're getting the house back in order. Then the rest of the family went to the afternoon church services. But Eliakim Kim was like, I'm going to stay back because if they come back, I'll be here waiting for him. And I mean, for some reason, he was like dead set that they were going to come back and they were going to finish the job tonight. So he hid in his study, no candlelight, no, you know, anything. And he just had like his gun and just waiting in the darkness and waiting. I would have done that for about mm, three minutes and would have been passed out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a few hours passed and... Nothing. No sounds other than the house settling. Well, finally, he's like, what the fuck? He probably had to pee or something. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on. So he left to study, went to the lower floor, opened the dining room door, and he was taken aback because the dining room was filled with women. What? And he was like, "Mm, I hadn't heard a peep. No doors, no talking, no footsteps, nothing. So how did all these women get up in here? And the women were all standing or kneeling silently. Some held Bibles. Others were like bowed to the floor in a deep prayer. And so he's just startled by this. 
but he started to look closer because he couldn't even see them breathing or hear them breathing. And turns out they were all dummies. What? Just really lifelike. They were made out of the family's clothing and other materials. What? Mm Mm-hmm. And how it was set up, it looked like a parody of like a prayer meeting. And in total, it was 11 quote-unquote women. And then over the next few months, these quote-unquote mannequin women would nearly double in numbers to like 20 or more at different times. And they would just appear without warning, but would be so intricately fashioned, you know, like Mm -hmm. very random. Very bizarre. Well, and from there, things just kept being bizarre. Objects began to be moved around. One day, an umbrella just basically Mary Poppins its way up in the air, traveled like 25 feet, and then just dropped. That could have been when? I don't know. But if it was like how I picture it, it was like on a hanger, mm-hmm. not being used. And then it was like, pop goes the weasel. Right. And then Cheerio, good friend, up and away. <laughs> and soon, small objects like pins spoons, knives, books, all kinds of things would just be like projectile launched from nowhere. Like no one was standing where these were being thrown from. And then it progressed to pillows and sheets and blankets being pulled off the bed, just yanked off the bed and then like tossed in the air. Hmm. Like a parachute. Almost, Like yeah. that, remember that game? Oh, loved it. Loved it, too. This just kept continuing, and finally Sarah was like, you have to contact someone. Like, this is not normal. And so he contacted a friend of his, Reverend John Mitchell, and he was a retired minister. He listened, and he was like, it's a kid's playing tricks on you. Like, th- this is easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Mm-hmm. So he's like, look, get the maid. Let her take the kids away. Let's see if the activity continues. If it doesn't, there's your culprits right there. Yeah. So they're like, okay, that makes sense. Let's do it. Also, (laughs) no kids. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. You know, bring out the wine. I was going to say, romantic weekend at home with no kids? Sign me up. Mm Mm-hmm. However, what John Mitchell would see would be same kind of activity, Objects being thrown through the air, but now the kids aren't there to blame it on. And then later, while he was still there, it was March 14th, they were having breakfast and a potato just magically fell from out of nowhere and landed on the table. What? Yes, a potato. Carbs and Christ for breakfast. Hello. So apparently they wanted, you know, hash browns for breakfast. I don't know. But throughout that day, 46 objects in total would appear and drop out of the air. Most of the items were from upstairs. Like, they would have to be brought down. Like, how did it just materialize and fall? So, word got out, and a lot of people were like, you know what? It's all of them just seeking attention. It's trickery, whatever. And so, Aliyah Kim was like, No, no, come and see it. Like, this is legit. This is 
bizarro land here. Yeah. So they would stay. They would see some stuff. And some newspapers wrote articles. Well, finally, after reading some of those articles, Alston Phelps, who was Eliakim's son, he was like, this is ridiculous. So him and his uncle, Abner Phelps, journeyed down to see his father, to see for themselves. Alston was a professor at a theological seminary, and Abner was a well-known Boston doctor and a legislator. So they were very, like, concrete thinkers, and this, no way that this could happen, Mm -hmm. and it's bringing, like, shame to their family name, and, you know, they're all well-to-do. It's all from a well-to-do family, you know, and so... They have to go to put a stop to this. And also, they kind of side-eyed Eliakim because he married such a younger Mm -hmm. lady. Well, the first night there, they heard the loud pounding noise, and they were like, it's someone from the front door. Like, easy. Well. Nobody was there. Exactly. So then they stood on both sides of the door. Like, literally, Austin on the outside, his uncle on the inside. And the loud knocking continued, but they had no way of, Mm -hmm. they're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So they wrote that off. Like, it's a fluke, whatever. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. So then the second night, they were like, okay, that noise has to be coming from Anna's room. That's where it's coming from, not from the knocker downstairs. We were wrong. And, you know, Anna is basically us, you know, the nervous one. Mm-hmm. Anxious Anna. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So the closer they get to her room, the louder the banging is. And they're like, aha. So they burst into the room. They're like, we're going to catch that motherfucker. In the act. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't doing it. So Austin later wrote, the young lady was in bed, covered up and out of reach of the door. We examined the panel and found dents where it had been struck. So I don't know if it was an old classic, like hammer, hammer, hammer. And then they like burst through the door and she was like, jump in, cover up and oh, I'm asleep. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But it fooled these people who were so hoity-toity and were so concrete and so sure of themselves Mm -hmm. so they ended up leaving and they're like well okay y'all might be truthful there's no trickery it's something that we can't explain and the haunting kept happening you know during the night it would be like rapping on the walls the knocking there would be voices screams and then during the day it would be the objects flying everywhere do you remember on Sword in the Stone when Merlin is packing up his Yeah, and the kitchen they're cleaning the kitchen too on that yeah. part. Man, I wish I had those powers. Me too. But that's what I picture like when they're saying that stuff's flying around. Like this is what I picture. And how Disney know how to do my two least favorite things with powers. Packing right? and cleaning the kitchen. I know. <laughs> but they had windows that would break. Papers, of course, would be scattered. They had the tables and chairs that would be turned over. And then their silverware would all be bent and then, like, just twisted where, I mean, kids couldn't twist how it was done. Right. 
And of course, those posed dummies kept happening, like I mentioned. Author Joseph Citro, he said that one of the mannequins who were kneeling, it was wearing a dress belonging to Sarah. And it was so realistic that the youngest kid, their kid together, mm-hmm. like came in and was like, Shh, hey, be still. Ma's saying her prayers. And it wasn't her. Holy shit. Yeah. Here's what I want to know. When they would find all these mannequins set up, like, what would they do with them? They'd just be like, oh, okay, well, they'll be gone in a minute. We'll come back. Would they, like, take them to the trash? Would they, like... No, it was, like, all of their clothes and bedding and stuff yeah, okay. being used. We'll take it off of them, and then what you do with the mannequin? No. Okay. Mm-mm. So, picture it, like, your clothes, like, your shirt that you have on right now. Uh-huh. And it's, like... Like, like a minute. Person. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's like the bedding, your bedding is in it to make it look like a person's in it. So it's not a real mannequin. It's literally like hodgepodge together. Almost like a scarecrow, but with your stuff. Yeah. These people are dumb. (laughs) I'm picturing fucking like the movie, The Mannequin happening. And that shit looks real. And it's a fucking sheet. It's the, it's Beetlejuice. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, legitimately, that's dumb. Well, like I said, some of these, like the first one where he had like those 11 women. <laughs> Why? I'm just thinking this kid be like, oh, mama's saying her prayers. <laughs> okay, well, now that I know it's not real mannequins. <laughs> am I dumb? Was anybody else not understanding? No, probably you're not dumb. Well, that's to be determined. Well, soon it wasn't mannequins or fake mannequins or anything like that. Anna became the target, and so did her brother Henry. There was a reporter from the New York Sun, and he had come to examine the house, you know, see if he could find anything, who the trickster was, all the things. Well, at one point, Anna... She, like, jerked her arm, and she, you know, was like, ow. And he felt like something you would do if you were pinched or, you know, like Mm -hmm. that kind of reaction. Well, the reporter rolled back her sleeve to see, like, so she couldn't do anything to her own arm or whatever. Like, let me see. And her arm had, like, several red marks on her. That could have been there before she said, ouch, if she had a sleeve on. Could have been. Other times, she was slapped by unseen hands, obviously. Not hands made by comforters, Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then one time, she was asleep, and a pillow was pressed over her face, and Mm. so she couldn't breathe. Obviously, she survived. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But then one time, it happened again, and it was then tied around her neck. Oh, God. With tape, like to try to keep it there. But she was able to like get it off finally. Well, let's talk about Henry because he actually got it worse than Anna. He was beaten. He was pinched. He had lots of different marks left on his body. One time he was riding with Like Kim and he was hit 
with several different small stones. Like they were just all like pelted at him. And then people saw him being carried out of his bed by some invisible force and then just like plopped on the floor. Ouch. Right? And then one time he was lifted so high in the air that his head brushed the ceiling of the room, but like by nothing. So he's just like levitating like against the ceiling, like anti-gravity, basically. I mean, levitating, I get. Scarecrow, quasi-mannequins, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then one day they couldn't find him inside. And so they're screaming his name. Well, they found him outside, but he was tied up and suspended from a tree. Holy shit. Yeah, and he had no idea how he had gotten there. He had also had some burn marks on him, and he didn't know how he had gotten those. He was thrown into a cistern of water, and then his clothing was torn apart, just shredded in front of people, and not by him. Yeah, And then he was missing again one other time, and he was later discovered where he was in a closet and had a rope around his neck. (gasps) So that's so unnerving. And Mm -hmm. they are at their wits end. They have no idea what to do. Well, then the spirits started communicating in different ways than just, like, knocking Elikan was in his study alone. He was working at his desk and he turned away for a moment. And then when he turned back, it had like the paper in front of him had like really strange writing on it. And like the ink was still wet. So he was like, what the fuck? Like, okay. But I mean, he had no idea what the letters meant. You know, like it wasn't our alphabet. Well, then later... Other family members would find pieces of paper with things written on it as well. So it was like little notes that would just float down from the air. And there you go. So what do you do when you're at the end of your rope? Move. No, you hold a seance. (laughs) That would be logical because he has money to do so and another house. But. Okay. He's going to have a seance. The spirit started to communicate with them and like him ask, like, what can I do to help you? Because the spirit said that he was a soul in hell because of the like sins he committed in life. And so he's like, what can I do to help you? Like, you know, trying to be nice. Mm-hmm. And so the spirit told him he could bring him a piece of pumpkin pie. Um, Pumpkin pie. And so... Eliakim Kim was like, wait, wait, wait what? Of all, Eli Kim's like, of all the types of pie and you want pumpkin? <laughs> well, so he asked again, like, what can I do? Yeah. And the ghost said, put some Cool Whip on top of it. <laughs> dude, the spirit upped it and was like, mm, a glass of gin. This spirit is all fucking nasty. Pumpkin pie and gin? Bull. <laughs> well, so Eliakim's Kim's like, what the what the fuck? What what the fuckity fuck? So he's like, why are you doing this in the house? And the spirit said, for fun. Damn. I mean, it's got to be pretty boring. Right? Well, so they got more into detail. And the spirit said that it was a law clerk who did some financial work for Eliakim. 
And he committed fraud, and so he had been sent to hell when he died. He said that he did not reveal why he was haunting like him, but, you know, just kind of like who he was. Mm-hmm. Well, so like him made a visit to Philadelphia to the law firm that he was talking about, and there was a fraud that was committed, and it was like a man was like prosecuted, and he like was arrested, had a trial, like all, you know what I mean? It was like a legit thing. However, fraud is not a once in a lifetime kind of thing. Yeah. Happens. But the timeline adds up. Right. But after all of this, it was like six months of madness. They were like, you know what? We're going to move back to Philadelphia. It's seasonal anyway. So like, let's just do it and see how it goes. They would winter in Philadelphia and then see how it was for spring. Okay. Mm-hmm. So after the family had that discussion, Eliakim was in his office and a piece of paper floated down to his desk. And it basically said, like, when are y'all leaving? Damn. Mm-hmm. And so on a nearby pad, he wrote October 1st. And so that day... On October 1st, he had sent his wife and their kids back to Philadelphia. He stayed behind to get a few things tidied up, and then he was going to go with them. During this time, the house was quiet. Everything was fine. They spent the winter, and they actually spent the spring also in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And then in the summer, they returned to Stratford. And the house was calm and For eight years, they lived there in peace, like vacationing there, and everything was fine. What? Yeah. So how did this happen? Well. It was all a lie. (laughs) Well, a few days before all of this happened, like the beginning where Tasmanian Devil came through and wrecked the house, an old friend of Elijah Kim, he came into town and they were discussing spiritualism which was huge in the 1850s, and it was just starting out, so people were super fascinated. And so they wanted to try a seance. Also, I should note that Eliakim was well-known in religious circles, but because he did have an interest and a belief in mysticism and mesmerism, which is later known as hypnosis and Mm, stuff, he was known as like an unusual thinker. So he was on the fringe of the religious leaders, you know? Anyway, back to the seance. In replies to their questions, the men reported that there was some knocking and rapping sounds on the walls, but, like, they were like, eh, it's not a success. I don't think it worked. Whatever. But what if they opened a portal because they really didn't know what they were doing? Yeah. So that's one theory. Well, but then what closed it so that it just stopped? Right. Well, then the next townsfolk think that the family was haunted by a restless spirit of Goody Bassett. And she was a woman in 1651 who had been hanged because she was a witch or allegedly Mm -hmm. a witch. And she was hanged near the property. However, like there's really no ties to why she would do this with them. Like, who knows? Like, why them and all of that? And it's, I think it's just like, oh, there's a town lore and it fits with this. So, yep, that's it. Yeah. Or the old poltergeist theory. That was what I thought. 
Yeah, because Anna's 16, Henry's 11, and Anna hated it there. She was always sick. Henry was going through lots of stuff. And so there's a spiritualist and psychic investigator named Andrew Jackson Davis. He said that it was started by something called vital radiations from the kids. And he said that it was like when their magnetism from each other was at its strongest, that objects would be attracted to them. And so when they were like this, they could radiate some kind of electricity, you know, and so that would propel the objects away from them. Okay. Again, it's like poltergeist. They don't know it. It's not them doing it. It's their hormones, emotions, all yeah. of all of that. So no one really knows why it happened. But like I said, for eight years, it was fine. They sold it. It passed through different owners. And then it became a nursing home. And that was in like the 1970s. And staffs and residents said that they would hear strange noises and have weird experiences. And they really always felt someone watching them and their alarms would always go off, like their emergency alarms, for no reason. Ed and Lorraine Warren was also called to investigate, but they, like, I don't know what happened. I mean, obviously, it didn't make it into, like, a movie or anything, so it wasn't that big. No one was ever really able to figure out what was going on in the house, what caused it. And a short time later, the house, which was a nursing home at that time, was partially destroyed by a fire. And then, like, it was vandalized and ran down. And then, eventually, it was just demolished completely. Hmm. And so, still, no more activity after that first no, I guess not on the grounds or anything. I think it's like a parking lot now. So, you know. So that's just it. That's just it. Just a little bit of time dealing with a quasi sort of maybe kind of poltergeist. Right. Leave, come back and everything's fine. Right. I don't know. I really thought when you said it was a nursing home after that, that you were going to say like the activity increased and all of that just with like the amount of death occurring you know oh yeah no so it's just odd i don't know like i don't know what happened i don't like not knowing things me either do you think it was real do you even have to ask me that (laughs) their mannequins were made of bedding and clothes no i don't think it was real (laughs) you're so funny these people thought that that this this person thought that was their mama. Dumb. If their face is covered, and I, I could see something like that. Have you not seen the scary movies when you're like, what is that right over there? And it looks like a person, and it's like nothing. Like sheets. Now, you know, when I had Skeletor standing right by my front door because I was too lazy to bring him past there, when we would see him out of a corner of our eye, we'd get scared, but I didn't think it was like a person. Like, I thought it was a person, but I didn't think it was, like, a specific person. Oh, my God. That Because you're a fucking adult, and this is your house. You're not a kid who's three years old. Oh, I didn't know it was the three-year-old. I thought it was a teenager. There's so many names I couldn't keep up. Well, even if it was a teenager, you're 34 fucking years old. Yeah, my eyesight's worse. (laughs) 
ma'am, do I have to go back to when me and you went out of my room with a tripod? A tripod. And you're like, stay behind me. Call 911 if we need help over like just some noise. But we were scared out of our minds. We legit were like an episode of Scooby Doo. Yes. Well, I still think this story's fake. What do y'all think? Also, you know, like when you have piles of clothes up on a chair. Oh yeah, no, that's fucking legit. I, you saw that meme. Um, that's what I'm saying though. Like it, it's not like they had fucking lights galore back in 18 whatever. Touche. Still dumb. I don't really think it was real either, but I am. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> but you're caught up on the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it really was like just parlor tricks. Yeah, I think it was like the kids and maybe even the parents a little bit too because if they had like reporters coming in and all this like they're getting publicity. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, who knows? Maybe, you know, again, not really blaming her, but maybe Sarah was like, "I want to spice it up. This is what we're going to do." And Elia Kim was like, "Whatever you want." And then Nicole Smith, "RIP, girl." But you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. whatever baby wants, baby gets. True. What kind of role play y'all do? Incubus and succubus? Teach me how. Damn. Okay, we're we're moving on now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, help a sister out. (laughs) Well, my story has to do with a family, too. All right. More specifically, the grandson of the oil tycoon... The Getty family. As in the uh, Mr. Getty's? The Well, that's Getty's. As oh, in, was it? Yeah. As in Getty Images. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Okay. So this story has a lot of names. So I'm going to try to keep it down to a minimum of names. Especially because some of them have the same name. Because it's like Senior, Junior, the Third, the blah, blah, blah. I'm going to try to keep it very narrow. I'm going to kind of start with the family tree and break it down. Like tell you a little bit about the people and then... Kind of what happened, okay? Okay. John Paul Getty, who's the patriarch of the family that we're going to talk about, he started out working in oil fields that his dad owned. And his dad, they didn't have a good relationship. And his dad never thought he would amount to anything, even though he helped his dad make his first million dollars. Well, when his dad died in 1930, so that was a fuck ton of money, you know, because that was his first million Well, when he died, he only left his son, the patriarch of the family to come, $500,000 because he was like, you've been married five times. Fuck you. This is all you get. So John Paul Getty was like, well, you know what? Fuck him. I'm going to make something of myself. And he did. He ended up buying some land in like Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. He struck gold, basically. Like it was a shit ton of oil that he ended up selling to Texaco, who ended up selling it to either Shell or Chevron. I can't remember which one. So he made a fuck ton of money. Like, this is how much money he had. He was the richest American by Forbes in 1957. And then he became the richest private citizen in a 1966 edition of the Guinness Book of World Records. What the hell? He was worth $1.2 billion at that time. So we're talking like 40s, 50s-ish. Wow. 
All I can think about is the Beverly Hillbillies. Right? Yeah. Well, he ended up having five sons with four of his five wives. But the family has what's become known as the Getty Curse. Ooh. Not like a this would be your story kind of curse, but just like fucking tragedy rampant through this family. One of his sons actually died when he was like 12 because when he was six years old, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he went totally blind from the brain tumor. Well, old John Paul Getty, we don't like him. He's worth over a billion dollars. Billion with a B. And his wife at the time, he told her that she spent too much money on that child's health care. What the fuck? Uh-huh. He didn't even go to this kid's funeral. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, his oldest son was his, you know, quote-unquote favorite. But they didn't speak. There were no pleasantries. The only reason why he liked him is because he was going to be the one to take over the family business. Well, in 1973... The oldest son, his name was George, died by suicide, and this is what he did. He stabbed himself in the stomach with a barbecue fork. Oh, gosh. And then when that didn't work, he took a bunch of barbiturates and a bunch of alcohol and died from an overdose. The long pitchfork-looking thing? Yeah. Now, I will say that some stuff said knife, but other stuff said a barbecue fork. Okay, that's terrible. You know, how bad was it that that's what, you know what I mean? Like, that is a brutal way to die by suicide. Some other articles I found said that the stab wound wasn't that deep. Like, it wasn't even enough really to pierce the abdominal wall. And so that's why he went to the overdose. But I I don't know. Because, again, different sources said different things. Yeah. Well, the ever so loving and caring patriarch of the family said there's no time to mourn. And he was more focused on keeping his son's death from tarnishing quote unquote, the family business. Like he was like, okay, well now, now what do we do about the business? And it wasn't because that was his coping mechanism. It's because he's an asshole. And it said like the whole time, the only thing that he was upset about was which one of the four sons that are left are going to be able to take over the family business because they were idiots to him. Whoa. Well, and you would think he wanted, he would be different to his own kids because his dad was that way to him. You'd think. And he was like, I'm going to make something of myself. Like, so now you're being the same way to your sons? But again, what we know about the cycle of abuse. No, I know. But he did something to better himself. Like, he was like, this isn't right. I'm going to do this. Like... Mm, but it was out of spite. It wasn't out of, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, I want to have this family and I want to show them love. No, he was like, I'm going to be bigger and better and smarter and richer than he. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, so we talked about Getty Sr., the patriarch of the family. Now we're going to talk about one of his sons, Getty Jr. Jr. didn't obviously did not have a good relationship with his father. He ended up marrying basically his childhood sweetheart her name's gail and again she's one of the names that will keep coming up so i'm using her actual name they had some kids too but the only one that matters is going to be paul getty he's the third so he like you know you know how that works senior junior the third but he's i'm gonna call him paul okay so we have senior junior gail and paul i know guys sorry lots of names 
Junior and Gail got divorced. It wasn't a pleasant divorce. Sides were taken. And after that, Paul's contact with his dad basically became non-existent. So just like before, I mean, it's this literally four generations of these Getty men, like having no contact with their father and having these terrible relationships with them. Paul bounced around from school to school. His mom had remarried, but that didn't work out. And so he, he they kind of, they were jet setters. They were, I mean, they were literally were international. They would live in the States. They live in Rome. They live in Paris, you know, all these different places. So after he had gotten kicked out of multiple schools and his mom's new marriage ended, they moved back to Rome. And Paul was just a little shithead. Like, he would just steal exam papers, which is very small compared to some of the things he did. Like, he burned down a billboard. He was like, oh, I had a new Zippo Zippo lighter, and I just kind of wanted to. What kind of billboard was it? I don't know. That a Zippo lighter just... Well, I don't think billboard like you're thinking. Oh. I don't think, like, advertise here. I don't think one of those. Oh, what the fuck is Well, it's Rome. They don't have that kind of shit in Rome, I feel like. Oh. I feel like it's not as commercial as us. Okay. And of Getty Sr.'s 15 grandkids, Paul was his favorite. I mean, that's not saying much. He still probably only saw him maybe six or seven times in his, you know, before his teenage years. And it was all, like, very formal. Go to dinner, have the butlers and the things. You know, like, it was never... It was never like what you think of like a grandpa sitting in the floor playing with, you know what I mean? So favorite is, I use that term loosely. Uh, Because Paul was an asshat just like him. True. Remember how I said, you know, Paul didn't really talk to his dad. He lived with his mom and his dad was off living his best life. But his, I guess, best life, it included a lot of substance abuse. Oh, no. And so he had remarried and... It's said that they were each drinking a bottle of whiskey a day and a gram of heroin a day. Oh, my gosh. And that one of his dad's girlfriends taught Paul how to snort cocaine when he was 14. Yes. So, Paul... How do they survive on the day-to-day? I don't know. Because, like, my stomach hates me when I wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... I've done nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. like I drink water and I'm like, oh, God, you know, they are doing all the things and they're probably like, meh, I got it. You know what I mean? I know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I got to take a probiotic. If I miss (laughs) it, I know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I I know. Like the thought of that much alcohol, like I can't, my brain, okay, take the drugs out of it because my brain cannot process that. Right. That much alcohol in a week. Right. Like, I just, my. No. One, my skin would, the alcohol would be seeping out of it. Well, I'm sure it is theirs, too. Well, they're, like, wealthy enough that they can go to the spa. Me, I would just be, like, (laughs) sweating and. But you'd have to be that wealthy, though, to be able to afford all of that. True. True. That's why I'm on my water budget. But also, though, which I don't really understand because Getty Sr. had cut Junior off. Like, was just giving him, like, I think a little bit of an allowance because he was off 
you know, doing all these drugs and drinking and all, you know, well, not just drinking, like, have, like he was an alcoholic. And he was like, I'm not going to pay for you to go do all this. I just picture like, you know how like in the movies, when you have this patriarch or matriarch that has all the money and that the, like their family members keep going in and out of the wheel, like yes. every time they get mad yes. at them. That's how I'm picturing this. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, when Paul was 15, he moved with two of his friends into an apartment. This is 1972. They hung out. They did drugs. They drank. They did all the things. And he continued on his just fuck the man kind of mentality. Well, on July 9th of 1973, Paul had slept all day, gotten up, went to hang out with some friends. Like late that night, he was really drunk and by this time, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning. He stopped at this little newsstand, bought a Mickey Mouse comic book, <laughs> and some newspapers. Because but, he's 15. Exactly. And so, he's walking down the road, shit-faced drunk. He's got the little comic book with him. And while he's walking, all of a sudden, this like big white car pulls up beside him. Three guys jump out and... Knock him down into the car, and before he realizes it, he's in the car, and they're speeding away. All he sees are guns, and he's like, what I do? Like, who's, like, he's even like, whose girlfriend did I fuck? Like, are you police? Like, like I'm sorry, like, what do you want kind of thing? So they hit him over the head. Like, like they basically pistol whipped him. And then they even put some, like, chloroform on a cloth over his mouth, and he passed the fuck out. And that's my favorite cologne. Oh, my God. <laughs> when Paul came back to, he didn't know where he was. He was like, water. And they wouldn't give him any water. They just gave him liquor and made him drink that. His head was bleeding. They covered his eyes. And they just kept driving. And, you know, he was like kind of in and out of consciousness. So he had no idea how long they were actually going but it said that he had like a whole bottle of liquor while he was like in the car with them being driven like every time he needed something to drink that's what they gave him what he used the bathroom in hopefully not the same bottle well the people who had paul said if you want something ask for it and if the answer is yes you'll hear one clap if the answer is no you'll hear two claps remember this because nobody will speak to you again so they did that so that he wouldn't be able to identify their voices. Right. Well, hopefully they have one person that's going to clap. Because if it was us, one person <laughs> would clap. You'd clap and then I'd clap and I'd be like, no, me. <laughs> You'd hear us like grunting at each other like, mm, mm, my turn. I mean, legit. He'd be so confused. He'd be like, was that one? Two? Wait, I just heard seven claps. Is that a maybe? <laughs> <laughs> That's so fucking true. <laughs> no, we'd go, was it once for yes? <laughs> no, no, no. We told him twice for yes. Like once for yes. <laughs> the kidnappers took him out of the car, like carried him like a sack of potatoes out of the car. So they would carry him for a little while and then sit him down, hang out there for a little while, then they'd carry him a little further. So he, after all that long drive and then 
being schlepped out into wherever he's going. He didn't have a clue where he is. Well, so that day turns into a second day. Oh, shit. And on the second day, they gave him some coffee, some cognac, and he, just like the day before, basically stays drunk the whole day. They gave him food, so he had pasta, and the pasta was warm. And so, you know, that kind of indicates like, okay, well, he's not maybe out in like the woods where nothing's around. Right. I just thought, spoiler alert, it was Chef Boyardee, and he just, you know, was like, this is tastes just like my grandma's, but it's like, you know, from a can. So then I was thinking about Saved by the Bell, that time that Screech said he had, like, his, like, grandmother's recipe or some shit. Yes. And it was, like, Betty Crocker. Yes. Oh, my God. I love that episode. Because they had, like, a whole conveyor belt and shit that they were going to start doing. Mm-hmm. About four or five days later, he was taken on a walk again, and, like, he had to walk down this hill and all these all these different places. And they eventually, like, bent him over this fountain and let him drink some water. And one of them, like, ripped his blindfold off, and so he could see a little bit. But all he could see was, like, a little hut, and he saw that there were five men with him, but all the men had masks. And one of the guys told him, listen, you're going to be here for a long time. Don't do anything stupid. Ask for what you want. We'll try to get it for you. Don't blame us. We're hired men. And he's 16 at this time? hmm Well, about this time, his mom, Gail, is like, where's Paul? You know, she hadn't heard from him. Been a few days. So she calls his roommates, and she's like, hey, have y'all seen Paul? What's going on? Where is he? They're like, no, we haven't, like, we haven't seen him. So she's just getting more worried and more worried. And then after about 10 days, Gail gets a phone call. And it's the kidnappers saying that they want $17 million. $17 million? Uh-huh. So, of course, the whole don't call the police, yada, yada, yada. Right. So she does what anybody would do. She calls her dad. And she's like, help, what do I do? And he's like, you call the police. So she calls the police, gets them involved, and they're like, eh, he's probably not really kidnapped. Because remember how I told you he was just such a shit starter. Yeah. And, like, he was well known to the police and all of that. And so they're just like, eh, I don't know. Well, It's also said that he had made jokes before about saying that he was going to stage his own kidnapping to get money from his grandfather. Mm. Because his mom was just living off of alimony from the dad, which was really, I think, paid by the grandpa because the dad didn't have any money either because he had been cut off. Right. So the police just weren't having it. They were like, he probably ran away. He'll show up kind of thing. He's probably faking, and once he doesn't get the money, he'll come back. Well, Gail's taking it very seriously, and she asks Getty Jr., like, your son has been kidnapped. Like, I need the money. And he's like, well, I don't fucking have any money because he's been cut off. He's like, sorry, I don't have it. Well, she is just pushing and pushing and pushing for help. It's like nobody will help her. And the police in Rome are like, "Mm, sorry. He's 
started all these fires and all this stuff. Like, he's well-known. He's spent a night in jail there and all that. And so the police just don't buy it. Well, meanwhile, Paul is actually kidnapped and being kept, like, I don't want to say out in the woods because it, it wasn't out in the woods, but basically outdoors. They finally started letting him into this little hut, like, for a few hours here and there. So there were a few days where he was able to spend a couple hours in the hut back and forth. They kept taking him. Like, it was like as soon as they would stay somewhere for a little while, they'd go somewhere else. They'd stay somewhere for a little while. And so it was, they were constantly on the move. Yeah, because they're professionals. Yes, exactly. Well, nothing was happening, so they made Paul write a letter to his mom. And he wrote, Dear Mummy, since Monday I have fallen into the hands of kidnappers. Don't let me be killed. If you delay, it is very dangerous for me. I love you, Paul. They even made him write a letter to Getty Sr. And he said... I know that we haven't been close, but I hope you know that I love you. Please do whatever you can to get me out of here. This is serious. Love, Paul. And so the kidnappers were telling him, you know, what to write. Did his dad do this? Paul's dad, Jr.? I don't know. Stay tuned. So it's getting out in the public and it's, you know, making the news that he's been kidnapped. And again, a lot of people were still saying that it's fake, all this. They thought that he and his mom were plotting together to do it because she was the only one that was like, no, he has been kidnapped. We have to find him. Like, they want money. He's going to die if we don't do this. And his grandfather even was quoted saying, although I see my grandson infrequently and I'm not particularly close to him, I love him nonetheless. However, I don't believe in paying kidnappers. I have 14 other grandchildren, and if I pay one penny now, I'll have 14 kidnapped grandchildren. I mean, he's not wrong on that. But this is a man that's also such a fucking tight-ass whatever with his money that he installed a payphone in his house for his servants to use. Wow. He is also very paranoid, like had his own security. I mean, yeah, because also... Some of the stuff I was reading was talking about how in Italy at the time, there were so many kidnappings from the mafia to get ransom money that, you know, he, again, he had his own security and all of that. And so, I mean, he wasn't going to pay it. For sure not, because he is a dick. But, like, he is right when he has 14 other people. Yeah. Well, one thing said, though, that he made so much money that he made the ransom money in one day. Oh, shit. Never mind then. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, if your child or grandson was kidnapped, you would do literally, you'd sell your house to get them back. Well, I feel like if you were rich and you really did love, you know, like if you were actually a decent human, you would do things like under the table mm -hmm. and stuff so they wouldn't know that you're doing it. Because he's right. If he does pay it like outright, okay, I'll pay the seventeen million. Then that is like, like here, kidnap all of these people, put all of my family in danger. Yes, you know, so like it would be all underneath the table. But he's a terrible human being, and we hate him. So Gail gets an attorney because she's like, I don't fucking know what to do. She's getting bashed in the media because people are saying that she's part of this like kidnapping plot to get Bless money. Heart. So when she gets a call back, she's like, look. You fucking call my attorney. Like, if, if you, if this is real, call him, set this shit up. The attorney gets his first call and they say, this is a kidnapping. We are serious. Do as you're told and prepare a ransom. And then they hung up. And then two days later, 
he got a letter in the mail and it said that the kidnappers wanted $17 million for Paul's, you know, return. Well, then the next day he got a phone call and when they're like, did you get it? And he's like, what you talking about? And they're like, the letter. And he's like, yeah, I got it. And they say that they want to be paid in very small bills. They'll let him know where the exchange is. And they're like, we're paid or Paul is dead. And then they said, let us know by radio or TV if you agree. So the attorney holds a press conference and is like, the request is just unreasonable. They need to ask for less. Because, I mean, of course, Gail has no money. I mean, again, she has she has money. I'm not saying like she's not like starving, but she doesn't have that kind of money. So after that press conference, they call back and they're like, you mean you can't pay this much money? You trying to get this boy killed? And so it's like they start like negotiating. The the fucking attorney's like, the most kidnappers in Italy get are is five hundred thousand. And the kidnappers like, that's a joke. You know, we've spent that much on expenses. It's just like this back and forth of just the I mean, it's like a fucking negotiation. And then they're like, We want five million. And the attorney's like, that's impossible. So all that back and forth and like willing and dealing really is kind of solidified to the public and police and stuff that this is a hoax. Like what, like if this really is the mafia, if this really is the Italian mafia, they're not going to be like, start out wanting 17 million and then go to like 500,000 and then back to 3 million. You know, like they're just not going to be wishy-washy on the amount of money they want. Meanwhile, they're moving Paul the whole time. They took him to what he thought was like a cave, but when they took his blindfold off, he realized he was in like a bunker and it ended up being an old Nazi bunker. And they chained him to a post down there, but they would let him out basically like an hour a day to smoke a cigarette, give him some more cognac, you know, let him get some fresh air. Well, when he was at the new place, there was a, because, a, you know, there's always these guys around him with their masks. Well, there was this new guy there that was so like hyped up, like he was so new that he was like way too excited, you know, and his mask slipped and they thought that Paul saw his face. He didn't, but they thought he did. And so the guy was like, well, now I'm going to kill you because they thought he saw his face. So they walked Paul to a spot and said, start running. And he was like, "Mm -mm." they're like, start running. And so he was like, well, let me have a cigarette. You know, like he was kind of a smooth talker, Paul. And so they let him smoke a cigarette. And then as soon as he finished, they were like, all right, just go back inside. Well, the other people thought, you know, that he really did see him too. So they took that guy out and they killed him. That's why you can't be doing shady shit because, like, there's no honor among thieves. Oh, no. You know? Well, because, again, though, because he was so, like, gung-ho and Mm -hmm. fucked up. And so now, because the plan wasn't to kill Paul. Yeah. You know, the plan was, okay, let's get this ransom and let's give him back. So they're feeding him. They're, I mean, he's kidnapped. He's yeah. chained to shit, but they're feeding him and they're letting him have breaks. And, you right. know, and so it's like, they don't want to be identified. They want the money. Right. They, yeah. And so, I mean, this isn't some mom and pop operation. This is like the yeah. fucking mafia. Yeah. So now we're 50 days in. 50 days in. Yes. 
Paul is like losing his mind. He's like making his finger. I mean, like totally pulling a Donna. He's like dancing with his fingers, like doing all the things to keep him occupied. Mm -hmm. They did give him a radio. So he would sometimes even hear like the news coverage of his kidnapping, you know, over, you know, over the, well, radio. Still, the whole time Gail is begging for help from Paul's dad, Paul's grandfather, and nobody will help him. In fact, Getty Sr. said it was his own fault that he got kidnapped. Damn. While Gail's trying to get some money together and all the things, she is in contact with the kidnappers because one of them kind of starts feeling a little sympathetic. And so they would contact Gail and she would ask them questions to ask Paul that only he would know the answer to. You know, stuff to make sure he's still alive. At this point, this is taking way longer than the kidnappers thought that it would, expected it to. They're getting frustrated. And remember, these are like legit, like kidnappers, mafia type thing. So some of the kidnappers had even started like selling their stake in Paul, basically. Like he was like a commodity to be traded. Started selling their stake in the kidnapping to get out of it. Because they're like, this is too long, you know? Yeah. Well, they didn't sign up to be a babysitter. Right. To occupy his time, Paul had, like, made friends with a fucking bird. You know, I mean, like, he's doing anything he can to occupy his time. Castaway style. Yes. Well, as the kidnapping goes on for longer and longer, the kidnappers are starting to take it out on Paul. They're starting to be way more aggressive with him. They took away the radio. They killed the bird. They would, you know, beat him, basically. And they would play Russian roulette like holding a gun to his forehead oh, and stuff. Gosh. And so, you know, all these really bad things started happening to him. They started talking about that they were going to like chop off one of his fingers to send to his family to prove that he was alive. And then this one day they start being nice to him and they take him outside and they give him some more, like they give him a bunch of alcohol, which they've done before, but like not that early in the morning and not that nice. And, you know, he was just like, What's going on? Right. Don't trust that. Yeah. It'll only cost you a finger. Well. Oh, gosh. So while he's out there, the kidnappers cut his hair and start rubbing alcohol on his ear. (gasps) And they sliced off his ear. Oh, my gosh. Yes. His equilibrium. No, because that's your inner ear. Oh, okay. He's not a cat. You didn't cut his whiskers. So the kidnappers take the ear and mail it to his mom. Here's the thing. There was a postal strike going oh on. My God. Oh, my God. So it took a bit to get to her. So by the time it got to her, it was like decomposing. But so Paul was red-haired, freckled. And when she got it, she saw the freckles on the ear and was like, no, this is him. She knew oh it was him. Oh, my gosh. Bless it. Three weeks it took to get that year. Like, if that's not some, like, that's some shit that would happen to us. Yes. Yes. Like, we could have all this shit planned out, and then a fucking, the USPS goes on strike. (laughs) I mean, it's not the same thing, but literally have not changed anything how we mail out our thank you Mm -hmm. uh, things. One time, like, you know, 40 of them came back. (laughs) I know. And so we started buying extra stamps because they said you need to buy, like, the little 
extra little, like, I don't even know. Like, it's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so then one time I was taking it up there. I was like, hey, can you just make sure, like, this doesn't need extra stamps on it? And they were like, no, this is this is fine. Like, did a test, did another test. And I'm like, so if it comes back, I can just say it was fine. And they're like, yeah. It came back. Mm-hmm. A lot of them. But now... I'm not doing the extra stamps, and they're getting there. Don't make no damn sense. It doesn't. I'm like, what happened? Someone was like. Poisoned the water hole. Yes. Someone was like, oh, this looks joyful. Can't get it. Denied. (laughs) Fucking Scrooge in the damn. After Gail got his ear, she was finally able to convince everybody, like, you see, this is not fake. So they were finally able to convince Getty Sr. to pay the ransom. But this is what he agreed to pay. He agreed to pay $2.2 million because that's the amount that was tax deductible. What the hell? Yes. Then. <laughs> Damn. Yes. Savage. Yeah. It gets worse. Then he said, I'll loan Getty Jr. the other million, but he's going to pay this back to me with a 4% interest. That is savage. Like that, that, that. Fuck. Damn. This is why he's was a multi-billionaire. Yeah. And I buy store brand toilet paper. Right? Same. Yeah. But this is why we have friends and he True. has to buy his friends. True. Well, he doesn't buy friends. Well, he didn't buy friends. He wouldn't waste money. So. But he has his, has his servants. Mm-hmm. Which for him are servants. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not. Oh, gosh. Okay. Then have to use a payphone. Hello, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm-hmm. After Gail gets the money, she is given the dumbest instructions on the planet to take them the money. She has to drive a car with a suitcase on the roof rack. Like, I'm making this number up, but like a specific kilometers from Naples. So like seven kilometers from Naples, where a person is going to throw a piece of gravel at her window telling her that she needs to stop there wow mm-hmm. what if that person has to pee and then they miss her you better hold your bladder right i don't know why i'm obsessed with peeing this episode so one thing i forgot to say too about the ransom was that in order to get getty jr to agree to pay the million he was like you have to give me like, sign of her full custody of the rest, their other kids, sign of her full custody of the kids to me right now. And I'll give you the million to get Paul back. So she was like, okay. I mean, anything to get him back? Like, he can have full custody, but I can still see him at least, you know, and at least we're saving our child's life. Yeah. So all of that, she's like, because they even brought in this, like, American CIA like retired guy to do the negotiations with the kidnappers and stuff. He's the one that got it down to the 3.2 million and there's all the things happening. Right. And so again, you have Getty Jr. Being like, sign over the custody of the kids to me and I'll give you the last meal. She's like, okay, just, just give it to me. You know, meanwhile, he didn't want the kids the whole time. Wow. Yeah. So now we're flashing to like what's happening with Paul during this time. So, like, this is all happening in the background. They're trying to get the money and all. They get the money delivered to the kidnappers. And so now 
the kidnappers have the money and they tell Paul, we've got the money, but we can't let you go today because it was Sunday and there was a gas shortage in Italy. And so no one was allowed to drive on Sunday. Literally the worst time to have a kidnapping. Well, one, they didn't plan, you know, to be a whole fucking four months. Exactly. So the next day they took him in a car off into the thing. They basically just dropped him off and he wasn't where like they told his family he was going to be to pick him up. And so remember he had gotten his ear chopped off. Right. So he's got like this bloody gauze. He was starting to get infected. They were giving him penicillin and stuff, too. They were trying to keep him alive. Well, they gave him so much penicillin that he actually became allergic to it. Oh, my God. So he's kind of infected in the ear. He's got this bloody gauze bandaged, you know, all the things. And so he's, like, walking, trying to find someone to help him. And he, like, flags this person down. And they're like, oh, nope, when they see his gauze. Right. But they actually went up, like, to the, like, they found a police officer and was like, hey, there's this guy back there with a thing, something's happening. And so the police came and found him, and he was reunited with his family. Wow. So he was gone for, like, five months. He was changed after that. Yeah. Well, here's one of the kickers about Getty fucking Sr. Gail had convinced Paul to call Sr. and say thank you for the ransom money. They fought about it and fought about it. And he's finally like, fine, I'll fucking call. Senior wouldn't come to the phone. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Is that not the ultimate fuck you? But for no reason. Right. So Paul has his hearing. His hearing's intact still, even though he had, because he just had the outer ear removed. Cut off. Let's let's not act like it was fucking surgery. Carrie acts like that's no big deal. He just had the outer ear removed. Uh. No, it's a big deal, but he can still hear without it. Well, when he was 18, he ended up, like, meeting this girl, marrying her. Well, guess what? Because he got married before he was 22, he essentially, like, kicked himself out of the wheel. Because there was, like, a there was like a disclaimer. That's not the word I'm looking for. Caveat? A something. Clause. A clause. Yeah, that. In Senior's Trust that said, if you got married before the age of 22... You lost your inheritance. <laughs> Fuck. So Paul had a very hard time dealing with the kidnapping and all of that. He had a lot of trouble with alcohol and drugs. He, it was like he just, he, he couldn't cope. He had no money. His dad had no money because Senior in his will left Junior $500. And then left, like I said, Paul, nothing. I want to know if he paid his dad back, though, if Junior paid Senior back with the 4% interest on that million. I'm sure. Eight years after he had been kidnapped, like I said, dealing with drugs and alcohol, he was trying to get sober. He was do he was on methadone, and he ended up having liver failure, which they think may have been from the methadone. And he had a stroke, and he was like... Five days in a coma, he had a, like a severe anoxic brain injury, and it left him quadriplegic, unable to speak, but he was cognitively intact. So his mom can't afford to take care of him. He needs, you know, he's needs all like around the clock care. I mean, he's yeah. quadriplegic, and she could not get 
Getty Jr. to help with his medical bills. So they actually ended up suing his dad to help pay for the medical bills, like to provide him around-the-clock care. And his dad was like, he got himself into this mess, like doing the drugs and stuff. Like, I don't want to help him. So they went to court, and a judge basically said, shame on you. Yes. You're helping. And so he had to pay for them to, like, the mom, because the mom, like, redid her house. The mom is the only one that loved and supported him in every possible way. He would be dead. He'd have been dead from the start if she hadn't have fought for that ransom. And then, because nobody even believed he was kidnapped. Right. And then once he had this life-altering brain injury she was the only one that was helping him i mean literally helping him bathe and get dressed and she needed help and so his dad didn't even have the decency to help with that a a judge had to make him do it and basically said in court like shame on you you're a piece of shit and paul lived until 2011 he was 54 when he died from illness like after you know he lived with his he lived after the stroke for a long time so do we know who kidnapped like why he was kidnapped so it was the mafia and they ended up finding five people that they were like okay these people we know are associated with the kidnapping only two of them were convicted for the kidnapping the rest they got them on like smaller drug charges but in court, he didn't even recognize any of them because they had worn masks the whole time and didn't talk. Yeah. Damn. So it's just such a tragic end to a tragic life and the Getty curse. Wow. Money cannot buy happiness. It can make it a lot more comfortable. It sure can. Well, you know what? If you're going to be a miserable person – It doesn't matter how much money you're going to have. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like nothing, it's not going to make you more charitable. It's not going to make you more kind. Yeah. Nothing like that. You could, and and, you know, you can have a family all day long, but, and because that's the thing too, is that, you know, there are people who have a lot of money, who have kids that love them and don't take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? So it's, it's all in how you're raised and you know people it's innate for us to love yeah we have to be taught to hate that's so sad you know and paul was this like playboy who was well known in rome and all the all the places you know he was i mean he would have all the paparazzi around him nowadays you know everybody would always know what he was doing he'd be on the cover of everything yeah and so it was big news when they were like no he's kidnapped and you know so it was like National Enquirer type stuff, you know? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? That fucking Getty Sr. was savage. He really was. Like, just when you think, like, dang, he's savage. He's making them, he's only paying what's tax deductible. Oh, man, 4%. And then he only left him $500 in the will? That, I mean, shit. And because he got married at 18, he got cut out. Mm-hmm. Like, he found love in a hopeless place. He almost died. He was kidnapped. You got to live life to the fullest. You don't ever know when you're going to get kidnapped again. Right? I mean, just like you said, you paid them. So, they should be coming out the woodworks. That was a trip. Like, I'm glad he survived. Oh, yeah. 
And he had had some reconstructive surgery to fix the ear and... That Carrie's so blasé about. It was just the outer ear. It's fine. It's fine. Well, it, you know. I know. You're a medical person. It's fine. No. I'm like. No, you are. And so you're like, it's fine. He still has the ability. And, all. and I'm like, but his ear. Well. I mean, I was 27 before my ears got pierced, y'all. Yeah, but you're really weird about needles and. He pain. probably was too. I mean, I guess he could have been. We don't know, though. So, both of our stories had wealthy families. Mm-hmm. Both of ours had people who did not believe what was going on. True. Mine actually happened. Yours, probably not. <laughs> or it was just some fucking parlor tricks. And they both had teenagers who were, like... Troubled. Troubled, but, like, I'm going to put quotes, typical teenagers... Paul was privileged in a lot of ways, you know, with mm-hmm. jet setting and all that. But so were they, mm-hmm. like, you know, because they were both wealthy. But how, like, Anna and her mom, who was basically a teenager because mm-hmm. she was so much younger, they didn't like the town, you know, all of that. They wanted more whatever. So did Paul. Mm-hmm. Well, and all those schools and stuff that he had been kicked out of, they were all, like, boarding school. Like, yeah, fancy schmancy schools so it's it's weird and we did not plan that Mm-mm. family's hard money can't make you happy it makes it easier mm-hmm. unless it doesn't mm-hmm. and it doesn't when it's a four percent interest because <laughs> you know how much fucking interest that probably was back then mm. you I, don't because you don't like math i don't either though same but i know that's cheaper than what my credit card bill is <laughs> 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 I mean, same. So money would buy me happiness. <laughs> At least some breathing room. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm thankful that, you know what? My parents would not have had $17 million to pay for my ransom. My parents wouldn't have had $1,700 to pay for my ransom. Well, I mean, let's just be honest. They wouldn't have had 70 But they would have paid. They would sell everything, mm-hmm. start a GoFundMe, all the things. yeah. So, like, I'm very thankful for that. And for that, we are richer than them. Damn. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Y'all let us know what you think. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.